This episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Mathieu Amalric's new film, Hold Me Tight, starring Vicky Creeps. In this con film festival and rendezvous with French cinema selection, Creeps gives a tour de force performance as a woman on the run from her family for mysterious reasons. Little White Lies calls it further proof that Vicky Creeps is one of the world's most exciting actors. Hold Me Tight opens September 9th at Film at Lincoln Center with a sneak preview on September 8th, followed by a Q&A with Amalric and Creeps. Don't miss their second appearance at Film at Lincoln Center during a film comment live talk the following day. Hold Me Tight also opens on September 9th at the Angelica Film Center in New York before expanding to select cities nationwide. Learn more at kinolorber.com. Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week on the podcast, we're revisiting a conversation from the 27th Rendezvous with French Cinema with Hold Me Tight director Mathieu Amalric and actor Vicky Creeps, moderated by NYFF artistic director Dennis Lim. Vicky Creeps gives another riveting performance as Clarice, a woman on the run from her family for reasons that aren't immediately clear. Widely renowned as an actor, but less well-known here for his equally impressive work behind the camera, Matthew Amalric's sixth feature directorial outing, his most ambitious to date, is a virtuosic, daringly fluid portrait of one woman's fractured psyche, alternating between Clarice's adventures on the road and her abandoned husband, Mark, as he struggles to take care of their children at home. Amalric's film keeps viewers uncertain as to the reality of what they're seeing until the final moments of this richly rewarding, moving, and unpredictable portrait of grief. Get showtimes and tickets to Hold Me Tight at filmlink.org slash holdme. Thank you both for being here. Thanks to all of you for, for staying. I'll start with a question for... For Mathieu, if you could just tell us about the source. It's, we see in the credits that it's based on a play, um, but I actually don't know much about this play. Like, Was this actually, is this a known produced play? Or how did you find this material? Claudine Galea uh, wrote this play 17 years ago, okay. and it was never performed. Never. And a friend... And that's why it's the first name when for the remerciement, um, uh, to say thank you at the end. C'est Laurent Zisserman, who's, uh, he wanted to, to mount that play, and uh, he didn't. And he just gave me this book, like saying goodbye to something, you know, getting rid of something. And he gave me this, this it's more a text than a play. It's not really written exactly as a play. It plays on um, the, the graphic uh, voices that uh, enter each other. Uh, the little boy, for instance, only uh, express himself through songs or poems. Um, and uh, Claudine is somebody that, yes, is uh, often uh, uh, staged in, in France and she wrote also for children okay. the, uh, the first question I asked her when I met her is um, I was sure of that when reading it but was um, this is not a real story 
end, yes, it wasn't a real story. <laughs> because then the film wouldn't have been possible. And because what I was attracted was the gesture of imagination. That's really what attracted me. How close is the script and I guess the film to the, this play? Because I was surprised to hear that this was a play because what, what I see on screen is, is so cinematic for me because I feel like it is, this is cinema. I think just manipulations of time and space, playing with sound and image. I mean, it's just like what gives this film its, its meaning and its power. I mean, that to me is cinema. So I'm just wondering, you know, what did that text look like? Claudine invented uh, her trick, uh -huh. <laughs> Clarisse's trick, that is the inversion. Um, if I say to myself that I left, that means that maybe they stayed. It's so simple. It's like a mythological trick. And I think that is really uh, where I felt something, as you say, with cinema could be possible. Something that then had to do uh, with phantoms, with imagination, with the state of projection, like you watching a screen, knowing it's not true, but you believed in it, so it's true. And that's exactly what Clarisse and Vicky are doing, but it's Clarisse who's doing it. And Vicky uh, uh, is, Clarisse is doing the film, all the images. Right. <laughs> she's, the, she's directing in a way. Mm. Yeah. She's directing, she has a lot of humor. That was really one of the things um, we felt uh, not f because we had the chance to film in uh, three times because of the f the story because we of needed the seasons, yeah. we yeah. needed the mountain uh, in spring and the mountain with the snow so it was separated by six months e each time and we were would edit with François Gédigier and uh, and see each other again with the crew with everybody. And so things had happened in our lives. And last time we had the third shooting, it was really, let's forget this story about you losing your family. This is, I'm sick of it. Let's have some fun now. <laughs> and so the, the way my job was just to try to as you say, it has nothing to, it was to kill theater. Mm -hmm. Yes. So kill words, in fact. Uh, the music, mm -hmm. it's almost a silent film, in fact. It's mm -hmm. just finding, uh, trying to, to just propose um, gestures. Gestures and music. Yeah. Vicky, I'd, I'd love to hear your your perspective of it. I mean, you just watched the film again with the audience tonight, and I'm, I'm wondering what, you know, just 
was that watching the film is that close to your experience of making the film, reading the text? Because it's such a it's such a fragmentary piece, I can imagine. And you said Matthew was just saying you had three different shoots, so I'm just wondering about you know this idea of holding this piece together is is so much you know what you do in this film, uh, and I'm just wondering how watching it compares to your recollection of making it and reading it. Um, you asked me if watching the film was like making the film. Did you expect and so I almost cannot speak because watching the film now for the second time was like seeing it the first time because the first time we were in Cannes and it was, um, I was probably too nervous. And um, you are exactly right. It, I feel like making the film. And I, I almost cannot answer. But that's uh, interesting you, you say it because you just said how I feel. <laughs> Um, Matthew, just, I mean, is the finished film close to your script, or did you work a lot with, with your editor to find the form? It was very written. I was even very proud because there was a shift at the end. It wasn't too difficult to find money. For once, I was able to say, say a story. It was incredible. And uh, in Claudine's text, there is, she calls it a renversement, a sort of, mm. and you, the script was written like that, that only at the end, uh, oh, okay, this woman didn't leave, uh, they left her. And it was only at the end, and it was written like that. And we started to shoot like that. And editing with Francois, uh, we felt quite quickly that we were too far from her. From it was, it it shouldn't be us, uh, Francois, uh, the crew making the film. It had to be her making the film. So what we did uh, is we. Um, advanced, uh, we put it much earlier, uh, and in fact everything is said very quickly, but, and that's where it was fascinating, uh, we don't want to hear it, we don't want to accept it, and that's exactly the, the trick, the, the, the thing that she found, to be able to wait for the spring, because if you put it in order, it's an accident in the winter, and she has to wait for the spring. How to make this time quicker. And uh, so that's the main thing, is to, the, 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 the scene in the snow with uh, the um, les sauveteurs, uh, how do you say sauveteurs, people who save people in the mountain, uh, uh, that 
that came much earlier and uh, and then that's where we found that we then were very close to her did you have vicky in mind when you were writing this yes after two days uh, when i took claudine's text and uh, started to try to find where there would be cinema in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, Vicky appeared. Yes. Tell us and why. I, I, and then it's the chance of life, you know, it's signs like that. I just, I live in Brittany and the yeah. phone doesn't work inside the house, mm-hmm. so you have to go uh, because the walls are very... And so you go uh, outside under the rain, huh, of course, and... Uh, and uh, I found on internet that she had an agent in France, and uh, the guy answers. And, and she was supposed to be in Paris three weeks later. And so we met. And uh, I only could give Vicky the book. There was no script. And I think we totally forgot to say to each other... Uh, I'll tell you if I want to do it, or <laughs> we, we, we skipped that, that thing. Yeah. And, and then, uh, yeah, and then uh, Vicky just took the, took the tears and took the, the tears that she couldn't express often in the scenes, mm-hmm. because that's not really what we wanted to film. We, we, we did film things that were terrible and that are not in the film. <laughs> Something that had to do with... Uh, it's Vicky that told me that once the film was finished, you know, when we, are, we have to talk about it, it's always artificial, artificial to talk about. But when you said about how to, she needed to, to go to craziness, not to become crazy. Yeah. And, and of course we had uh, tried something, but it wasn't well written. Yeah, I think what I said is something like, sometimes you have to accept the crazy to not go crazy, you know. And I think that's what she's doing. She's accepting to open a door and go next door to this other room that we all know is there, but we are afraid of. And she goes there in order not to go crazy here from pain. Coming back to Matthew, you said you had Vicky in mind from the close to the very beginning. Was there a particular role of hers or...? something that made you decide? Yes, it's the first time I saw her in my life is as a waitress passing that door. And uh, I know her. That's all. And it's, you know, and and that happens often. Uh, That doesn't happen often. Yes, in Phantom Thread, of course. And uh, and uh, what, what? No, no, just you did. Yes. 
Just making sure that you yeah. mentioned it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, no, not in real life, but uh, in real life, we all uh, imagine the life of waiters and waitresses a lot. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. Uh, or uh, it's or in you know or in a bus the, the life of an old man and you you he has a, a, a face that seems very sad or very angry so you imagine things and maybe you're totally wrong about that person and that was my feeling when I I saw Vicky uh, pass that door and. And order and take the order of uh, Daniel De Lewis. I, that's the. Then I don't really remember. Yeah. I I sometimes wonder if it's different for directors who are also actors to direct actors, and I wonder if both of you have a have any thoughts on that. Um, hmm. I think yes, probably, mostly, most certainly, yes. Um, it would be weird if it would be the same. Mm -hmm. But um, I try to think of like how in this movie. So for one, we didn't have to speak. But that also only speaks for Mathieu. And maybe if he wasn't an actor, he would have that same kind of sensitivity. Or like, again, you know, like this little bit of craziness or like just it's okay to not talk you know maybe I know what you mean and you know just connect on a different deeper level and that's what we did but I do think being an actor he f he's very sensitive and can feel really where I am at one moment but I would really say because that's what you would expect as an answer yes as an actor when it's an actor I feel the difference I feel the difference as an audience, actually, mm. I must say, tonight, because I feel I saw the film the first time, and I saw someone who made a beautiful, beautiful poem where every word spoken, it's not like words, it's not text, it's like, it's like people speaking poetry, and like I don't know if you heard the beautiful music, and it's all life, and if you can imagine how it felt to be in that house, see these children play piano. I, I, I was really crying every day just because of the beauty. And the beauty of someone, you know, saying let's all come together and filling this house with art in every sense. There was art in every corner of that house. It was the music, it was the colors, it was the sounds, it, it, it was the people talking like how they were looking at one another. I felt so blessed to be part of that family and in that house, and that is him. So him being the person collect, and I think it's because, you know, many directors have a very big ego, and I feel that he doesn't. So I don't know if it's because he's an actor, but I would say there's a big positive difference to most directors. Yeah, it's the music, the fact that it had to be real pianists. The, the music is live. Huh? Uh, Juliette and, and Sophie, the two girls, really play the piano. It was amazing. 
Was the piano part of the original text, or did you add that? Yes. Okay. In fact, um, I should go back to... to um, no, but I, I, everything is in Claudine's text. It, okay. That's always uh, very strange. When you go back and you see Martha Argerich is in there. Okay. named. Um, uh, the piano, of course, as this tool that the mother can use to communicate with her daughter. The fact that she has less imagination with the boy doesn't really know how to do with it. <laughs> it's almost like an ad, no, what she invents. That's why it's like, you know, the, um, to, to invent a perfect father that makes uh, uh, how, tree uh, house. Les cabanes, come on. Tree house. Tree houses. Uh, it's a cliche, no? <laughs> but... Um, Everything was there, the, yeah, the piano. The, well, then the, the, the fact that this person invents her own road movie, yes. But it's a road movie that stops. But she does invent her... So with Christophe Bocan, the DOP, mm. yes, there was this pleasure to uh, um, aesthetically... Uh, I always like that to imagine that the characters uh, saw too many films. And for me, she had seen uh, Rain People from uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Mm -hmm. uh, where it's a film from 69, a beautiful film uh, with Shirley Knight and, uh, and James Caan. And, uh, and uh, it's a woman that leaves a, a house like that. And uh, that's the way also Vicky works, for instance. Of course, when we meet, you, you want to be sure that the person feels that you have worked. <laughs> so you give reference, you know? You give books, you give films. And I had gave to, to Vicky Rain People. And uh, it's only once the film was totally finished that she told me, I just looked at the brain people. I, I preferred to, uh, to, to remember just how you were talking about it. I didn't need to see it. And uh, that's the freedom, the fact that Vicky will always bring, bring something that is paper and just go into, uh, yeah, into tears, into uh, a voyage that really was tough. <clears throat> On the subject of the idea of this as a road movie, can you talk about the car, which has its of course. Own, own credit? That's why she's in red. Yes. It has never been filmed. In, it's the first time it's filmed. It was only filmed in an ad for AMC Pacer Break. I'm not talking about Pacer X that has been in uh, uh, Meyer's films, uh, Wayne's World, or I think that you see the, the, the AMC, but not that one. Um, well, uh, 
Okay, a, a woman leaves the house with a car. The pleasure to film a car. Okay, modern car. Would, well, difficult. So how to justify the fact that it could be an old car and... I remember with the first AD with Dylan when we were searching for a car and because of course he was saying but why does she have a car like that I mean it's too uh, cinema I mean why and that's where we found this thing that in fact it was the car of uh, Marc of Arrier and the discotheque scene with the snow the snow on her already <laughs> And uh, and then we could film this car. And the car became uh, a way like a space trip because uh, Mark brought the kids to the mountain for their last trip with that car. So that's where she can maybe, you know, like Star Trek, try to and put the antenna and put old cassettes and maybe she can communicate with her, with them. She has a lot of, the character has a lot of humor again, really, that was, it has to be, it had to be a game. The fact that she is in an invention uh, that is uh, erotic, uh, funny, uh, realistic. Uh, that's why there is also another, there's the car, but the other influence was this incredible painter who died uh, one year and a half ago, Robert Bechtler, uh, who came from the West Coast. And he, all his life he painted uh, cars and his family. And that was a gesture that I found very strange because his family was in his house, no? But no, he preferred to be <laughs> in the basement and spend six months doing, uh, redoing something, reconstitute uh, doing something. And that was very close to what she is doing. And we, again, with the sound, uh, engineer with Christophe Bocan, with uh, the accessory, the prop person, and uh, everybody. It was uh, to be hyper realist. That what is real and that is not real would never uh, be uh, mentioned. The difference, because I think that in the moments of of pain, you know, even when you have a, a love split. You are, it, it's a delirium. It's a delirium where it doesn't seem to have any difference. So in the shooting, you also do not, there's no difference for you? Or do you talk about like, this is real, this is less real? Or Yes, we do talk. Yeah. Not to Vicky, yeah. uh, but for the crew, yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> we knew what we were doing. Um, that's why we could write at the last moment because uh, I have this sickness of giving uh, the, the, 
the pages the, the, in the morning. Right. But even then, there are different ways in which it's not real, right? There's like, there's different registers and degrees of reality in the film. So all that is clearly mapped out for you uh, and your crew, or no? So, yeah and no. Because remember, because of the three times we shot, there were moments in the beginning where we would do scenes. Well, I remember getting this direction from you so that the scene could technically later then be taken as a scene for the end or for the yeah. beginning. So I had to adapt my acting to something that could... In between. Or yeah, both. like float, you know, that wouldn't be too... And that was actually right. the only really hard yeah. thing to, to play, I find. Would it be after or yeah. Yeah. before uh, yeah. the revelation is not... It's, yes. it's two strong words because the, the, the film doesn't work on a secret, in fact. It's not yeah. usual suspect, you know, where... Uh, but, uh, yes, that was yeah. something that we started to feel during the second shooting. Yeah. That the script with this ending where you would ta-ta-ta... <gasps> uh, no, in fact... Yeah. You knew, but you didn't know that you knew. It's yeah. That was the, the thing that was difficult for Vicky, is that, for instance, the opening of the film, uh, as we had imagined, it's a shot that is at the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do remember being lost and thinking, oh, now I'm wearing these shoes and... They're supposed mm. to be for when I'm working, but when is she working now? And you know, and then we even changed sure. the idea of working, not working. So, yeah, that's what you felt. Yeah. All right. I think we can take a few questions from the audience. Uh, yeah, we'll start with you. Question. I'll just quickly repeat in case people didn't hear. Is, is about the the Polaroid scene that you see at the beginning, and also the end. I guess the significance mm -hmm. of that scene and how it relates to. How you worked with editing? That is thanks to Christophe Bocan, the DOP, because the first thing that we did <laughs> is um, the the four the family spend one day in the house uh, to take photographs, so that the past would exist, and so they would take photos of themselves, I would take photo, and Christophe uh, had this Polaroid, and he would take photos, and then he would um, put the photos on uh, outside uh, in the garden on a table, and after a moment, there was this, those photos uh, in, like that, and uh, that's how the scene arrived. <laughs> and uh, I remembered that, then it clicked on something when I was a little boy in, in the States, because I grew up uh, in the States from between five and eight years old, and there was this game called Memory. And of course, Memory, uh, there was something to do. And uh, that's why she does pairs, you know? And, and I knew it would be somewhere in the film. And the scene, 
wasn't supposed to be like that. It was supposed to be a real scene with, again, the phantoms that are so real uh, around the table and saying, when does mother will come back? Uh, I don't think she's going to come back. What about selling the house? And it, it was the three. And I felt we had enough of them. It, uh, now we wanted to be with her. And in the morning, in fact, those dialogues, what about if you would say them to yourself? And then, I don't know, I connected with... That's where the Polaroid could arrive. So those are the things that happen in the, in the morning. Those... court-circuit, <laughs> like electricity. And uh, then... And then uh, that's where when Vicky says we don't need to talk, she just ah, I, ah and she's hungry and uh, it's a good so it, it it's a good idea. It's not an idea. It's not an idea, but we can she can play with it. And then uh, it wasn't supposed to be the, the opening uh, shot, uh, but when François put that, it never disappeared. It always. Stayed as an opening shot. Yeah, and then uh, at the end, uh, it came back because the film has a lot of uh, boucle around. Yeah, that's how. Uh, a question is about directing the children and whether they knew they were dead. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, no, but. It was a very important question. Yes. That was one of my fright. Who would be the parents who would accept uh, that their child uh, plays dead children? Yes, of course. Um, I first talked to the parents. We were very lucky because we the parents were extraordinary. That helps a lot. And then um, the children, you don't need to explain, they understand. No? And they, um, Sasha, uh, the, the little boy, um, loves to play. And for instance, the scene in the bathtub that was for us very violent. I try always to do maybe one take, you know, if it's possible for those sort of things. He just popped out uh, when it was finished and, and said, oh, can I do another one? Can I do another one? So <laughs> it was a game. It was a game. And then, uh, and, and Sophie, she had to deal with music, with learning the pieces. So that helps also. And uh, and now they are they are big. And they really had a very um, good energy. So whenever they were doing these scenes without me, and it was actually one of the weirdest experiences for me. I mean, because they were together with the team, they had like full days of laughter and sunshine, and and it was only if my shadow would pass, you know, like. Mm. And I wouldn't talk to anyone because, you know, yeah. So they, they were allowed to forget, but I could never forget. So 
in a way, it separated me often from everyone on, on the set. So, but I, observing, I remember seeing a lot of um, fun, and, and I mean, they had a really, really good time. And Arié is, uh, is a man that attracts a lot. The, the children love him. Yeah. He's extraordinary with children. And that was really beautiful. It was even sometimes uh, for the real parents a bit... Uh, uh, they wanted to stay with, <laughs> with Arié. Yeah. With their false father. It was... And yes, and yeah, what Vicky, it remembers this moment where, where you were doing the voice in another room when there is the, the breakfast with the crepe and the voice of Vicky enters the head of, of her man and, uh, and you, so Vicky was in another room um, with a mic and she could see the images. And it wasn't supposed, she wasn't supposed to be that moved and that crying. It was, but you, you told me it was because you could see them and not touch them. You were separated from them. Yeah, or just, I mean, you just have to look at children or any person. And if I would tell you what you see is wrong and these people are not alive, you cry. Yeah. Because it's, you know, that's what we said in the beginning. It doesn't need to be real. Like, we all know how it feels to just dream or, you know. Yeah. So it didn't need to be real for me to look at something and, and, and cry. And cry and sing because and sing. Gigi Kale is there. Oh, yeah, because I started singing it. And that's how it became the song of the film, of, of, of Clarisse. Yeah. How were the piece of the music selected? selected? I played piano when I was a kid. Uh, I stopped piano. So uh, first there are the classical things with which you start, and then there is um, <gasps> what I would have loved to play. <laughs> And uh, so, um, uh, there's even a scene that was uh, Juliette, I mean, the Lucie uh, grew even more, but we cut that out. She arrived at the age of 16 and there was a big, uh, like, uh, fiesta in the house and she played even something else, but the... the um, I was trying to imagine how the mother, um, because of course we know all that we get crazy as parents that when kids, the relationship we have with our kids playing an instrument. I mean, it's, it's terrible how we project on them. And, and I thought that in this car, with time, thinking of how she would have been an extraordinary mother. She would have left her little girl free and her little girl would have chosen things that are not in the program and she would have gone to her own stuff, Schoenberg and then Ligeti and 
that's how there was this piece that is also a music that you can think is not composed music at the beginning. Yeah. That it's just because it's only with the the, the note A. It's o only A's, pam 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 everywhere. And that's how uh, taking possession of this instrument. That's how. Uh, and then there was Rameau arrived because I had heard the extraordinary uh, pianist Marcel Meyer, who was a pianist from the 30s, the 40s. Uh, Marcel is a, a woman, and she's one of the first who have played Rameau, uh, not on clavecin, but on, on piano. And she has this sort of energy. And I wanted to, to choose a music where it's always the same thing, like if she was stuck in her head, she couldn't go further. So it's, that's why it's La Gavotte and it's uh, Variation, doubles of the same theme. It's always the same theme because she, there's something that is stuck, like the, the note the 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 keys that fall on on a a and then it's the, the kid that plays a a and it's always the same something like a ritournel we say ritournel uh some uh, something uh, uh, it's not a earworm it's not exactly that but you see something it just it's always the same thing but that is written by Rameau and to such an energy. And the last variation for the end credit has a sort of, she will be okay, she will be okay. She's leaving this house, it's gonna be okay. That's the thing, that's exactly that. She does it so well that um, the character, I mean, yeah, you just forget that it's not real. That's why even six months later when Vicky, I saw the, the kitchen again, we had finished the scene, it was only supposed to be the voice. And I saw the kitchen and I thought that's where she invented all that, alone in that kitchen. And I said to Vicky, come, look, and, and Vicky learned with the sound, the scene that we had edited, and she played alone in the kitchen, and that's why there is this moment where she's alone in the kitchen, and it's... it's that, I mean, okay, we also need to go home, but that's actually an interesting question because of... I myself often think of the movie and today for the first time I felt I really understood it, whatever is understanding. But so, okay, but this thing of like, but what is, are they really talking? Is it telepathy or is it her inventing? And we want to have this feeling of like, oh, now I know what's going on. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is a different voice now. Like in writing, you have like, letters like this, and then we have those that go like this, so we know, oh, this is, you know, someone else talking. Or, And when we started the movie really early on, I felt like you with him. I was like, I never knew what he was really talking about, but I, 
I mean, this is now to an extreme, but I must say it, it has something to it because you're so inhi inhibited, like inhabité, uh, by what you feel and think that like when, I, when you talk to me, it's like there's so much I feel from what you say, but my brain tries to follow. Then really early on I decided I would not try to follow. So whenever he would come with a new idea and say, oh, can you not talk in this kitchen and it wasn't planned, I wouldn't even say yes or no. I would just sit down and, and do it, you know? Because I had passed the point of the normal consuming brain of like information is and then I have to and then I give it on, you know? I, I, I don't know where I was, but I was in a different zone which is very close to poetry, I feel. Like, so it was like performing. It was like performing arts, really, every day. And it's really the editing that came in later by Francois that makes it a movie, in a way. But then also, I think you know more than you say you do, but <laughs> I think the editing is uh, then the movie. Yes. It is, and that's why I knew the film would be fragmented, and that's why it was so important to uh, film real moments, long shots, not pieces, and we would go for half an hour, one or two takes, and to 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 grab uh, life. That uh, in the, so in the way it would be shot, not fragmented. All right, we do have to wrap it up, but I want to thank you all for staying. And Vicky, Mathieu, thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Mathieu Amalric's new film, Hold Me Tight, starring Vicky Creeps. In this con film festival and rendezvous with French cinema selection, Creeps gives a tour de force performance as a woman on the run from her family for mysterious reasons. Little White Lies calls it further proof that Vicky Creeps is one of the world's most exciting actors. Hold Me Tight opens September 9th at Film at Lincoln Center with a sneak preview on September 8th, followed by a Q&A with Amalric and Creeps. Don't miss their second appearance at Film and Lincoln Center during a film comment live talk the following day. Hold Me Tight also opens on September 9th at the Angelica Film Center in New York before expanding to select cities nationwide. Learn more at kinolorber.com.